Support for this podcast comes from Meet and Engage. Meet and Engage is an award-winning candidate experience technology provider with three products. A chatbot solution, Timeline, which is an onboarding technology, and a live chat messaging platform. Meet and Engage provides the tools you need to digitally engage with candidates 24-7 in any location, on any device, to deliver the best candidate experience. Trusted by the likes of Arup, Amazon and Diageo, Meet and Engage improves the candidate experience for clients worldwide, helping them to engage candidates throughout the recruitment journey. Find out more by visiting www.meetandengage.com and requesting an online demo today. That's www.meetandengage.com. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 262 of the Recruiting Future podcast. My strategy over the last few weeks has been to bring you content that focuses on the current crisis, as well as content that looks ahead to the future. This episode is a hybrid of both. My guest this week is Matt Jones, Senior Vice President Operations at Cielo. In our conversation, we talk about the impact Cielo is seeing the global pandemic have on the market and how employers are adapting their talent acquisition strategies in these difficult times. We also discuss the long-term adoption and implications of AI and recruiting automation. Hi, Matt, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah, likewise. Pleasure to be here. So, Matt Jones, I'm a leader in Cielo's Global Operations uh, Organization. Um, which means I look at people, process, and technology and how we bring those things together to provide our services for um, our clients uh, and for our broader stakeholder co- uh, community. So how we deliver that um, great experience for candidates, hiring managers, our clients as a whole, uh, and our own uh, people and organization. Uh, I'm 15 years plus in Cielo and approaching 20 years in the industry. So um, seen a, a fair few things over the years and um, excited to uh, to talk to you today. Fantastic stuff. So the intersection of people and technology is what what I kind of really want to want to talk about. But I don't want to miss the the opportunity to kind of ask you about the the current situation. So obviously, as an organisation that works with lots of different employers in in many different countries. T- tell us about what you're seeing in, in the market at the moment. What's going on as we sort of navigate our way through this crisis? Yeah, um, so we we provide services in um, nearly 100, 100 countries around the world. So this is not necessarily new to us and our client base. Um, we obviously saw um, the rise of um, the crisis in the APAC region. Uh, back in sort of January, February time, and and since then, obviously the intensification across the world. So, um, something we've been navigating for for a little while. Um, I think from a macro trend perspective, all of the commentary that that everyone has been providing um, around you know, challenges and and a decreased amount of hiring, um, the use of different schemes around the world to furlough or um, 
or to release uh, employees from employment, the rise of unemployment, all of those things, obviously, we, we, we see at a kind of macro level. Um, I guess once you go below the kind of broad macro um, uh, features of, of this crisis, there's, um, there's kind of interesting uh, and uh, and uh, and some additional kind of trends out there, really. So um, I don't think it's as simple as saying this particular region or this particular industry is affected um, negatively, severely negatively, or is doing okay, or actually is 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 kind of um, doing well uh, from a business perspective in this crisis. Obviously, grocery trade, um, those areas in certain parts of the world are, are actually seeing upticks in uh, in volume of, of sales, um, understandably so. Whereas um, if you're in hospitality, travel or tourism, generally you're seeing <laughs> a pretty, pretty negative impact and pretty challenging um, times. Um, the reason I say I think it's hard to draw um, direct um, themes for uh, broad kind of industry sectors is if you think about healthcare. So broadly, I think everyone would guess that healthcare is um, continuing to fight the good fight and, and um, doing okay. Those in med devices or pharmaceuticals or in um, healthcare provider world um, are contributing towards um, us fighting this, this crisis and this disease. However, if you take um, you know, privately funded hospital groups uh, in certain countries in the world, m- much of their um, revenue or, or funding comes from elective surgery, which of course is not being undertaken at the moment. So that has a knock-on effect to um, to what we see happening from a hiring perspective uh, in those organizations and in those particular sectors. So I think the first kind of thing to say uh, uh, below the kind of macro trend or theme is that there isn't really um, uh uh, below that, there isn't really an in, uh, an individual theme or trend that we should uh, we should sort of talk about. What we have been spending our time doing is talking to all of our clients around the world um, and making sure that we are there for them uh, in whichever way they are um, kind of tackling this uh, this crisis. Whether it's uh, pausing any um, hiring and focusing a little bit on preparing for the recovery whether it's um, pausing some hiring and focusing on how they can better deploy internal um, talent around the organization to um, help um, keep their business moving and also in some cases contribute towards us uh, fighting this um, this terrible crisis Um, or whether that is um, you know supporting them as they as they close down uh, much of their hiring for a period um, but supporting them with their employer brand to make sure that we keep um, keep the messaging for that organization strong amid this crisis and that actually as uh, as we start to recover and, and these organizations need to bring additional talent back into uh, into um, their organization they're ready and, and the message has been uh, has been there and, and we've managed that experience of those potential uh, employees for the future um, there's no doubt that that overall um, organizations are hiring less <laughs> um, you know we've seen extremes for organizations kind of closing down all hiring, um, reviewing um, start dates and entry dates for people into the organization. Whereas, um, you know, at the other ends, there are certainly some organizations that are increasing their hiring, folks who are involved in critical infrastructure, um, folks who are involved in providing some of those healthcare um, services or in that um, supply chain. So, um, again, I think the broad macro theme is that that Overall, organizations are challenged and having to look critically at their employee base and their hiring needs and, and how they better use the resources they've got or how they manage the resources they don't need uh, in today's environment. Um, 
below that, I think you have to look at each individual client, each individual organization, individual country different because um, differently because there are different circumstances that, are, that affect. Um, I guess one other theme is that there is this kind of geographical or locational challenge as well. So there are some organizations who, for example, have manufacturing in um, some of the real um, epicenters of, um, of, this, of this outbreak. And you know, unfortunately, it's likely that that, um, that will change and continue as we see, uh, as we see the, um, the crisis uh, change its shape over the coming weeks and months. So um, there are some organizations that are unable to progress their <laughs> manufacturing or their business um, focus purely because of um, you know, the, the, the specific, uh, specifics of the geographical issue for them. So it isn't about funding. It isn't about the need for their products. It isn't about the, the health of their business. It's purely about where they've located manufacturing or distribution or, or where their workforce is located. So I think those are the themes we're seeing in, in, in businesses that we speak to, businesses we support um, uh, and organizations around the world. So, I mean, I mean, you know, lots going on and, and what you're saying about um, employer branding makes perfect sense and also the uncertainty of uh, where, where this is where this is all going. Uh, but just to focus on the employers who are still recruiting, how are they adapting and, and how is uh, technology helping them to adapt? Yeah, sure. So they, they clearly they've been forced to adapt. Um, I think um, some organizations are the, that are increasing their hiring or continuing their hiring are used to working in a kind of distributed fashion. Many of the tech organizations, tech infrastructure um, organizations are used to working in a more distributed fashion, um, are used to leveraging technology such as video interviewing, um, virtual events and virtual onboarding a lot more than some other organizations. So I think what, what the first thing that's happening is we're seeing um, the need for um, for more uh, organizations to kind of um, enable themselves greater from a technology perspective. So again, much talk about um, the need for video interviewing as, as part of a, a, a process and many organizations have not deployed that for many, many, um, uh, many reasons. Although we have known for a long time in our industry and our, and all of our um, collective profession that, 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 that um, way of working that technology, that platform is, as valid, if not more valid, than um, than some of the other methods that we use in a more traditional recruiting sense. So first and foremost, I think some organizations are being kind of fast forwarded into a more tech enabled um, position. Not everyone is ready for that. And I think we're seeing some interesting behaviors. If I think about the broader market, um, not just the clients and organizations that CLO supports, but the broader market, we're seeing um, some uh, distressed purchases around the platforms that in organizations want to use. And perhaps if they're not used to leveraging things like video interviewing, that, that they may not be making the best and right decisions there. Um, one of the things that, that we've been working with clients on is to say, hey, you guys, you probably have two or three video platforms already native to your organization. Most of us today have GoToMeeting or Zoom or um, uh, Microsoft Teams or, or, or one of those versions. Um, Often that's already in your organization. Often that's already security checked by your um, IT uh, and compliance teams. Um, and it's a, often a core platform that, that many people in the uh, external universe are used to using. So um, you know, please 
please um, don't necessarily go out and buy something brand new for this use case. Think about what you already have um, in your organization. Um, I think organizations are less um, used to using um, virtual events and virtual open houses. So some education and some support around uh, around those available products and that way of working, I think, is uh, is needed in the market at the moment and is is key. Uh, and likewise, for kind of virtual onboarding, making sure we give that 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 kind of great experience. I think those are the three kind of key areas, really, if you think about attracting and engaging um, a uh, you, your potential workforce, then some kind of virtual event and activity to bring uh, bring candidates together to understand uh, what you're trying to achieve, the type of organization you are, and right now, what the specific challenges are in this crisis, because what you hire for in a normal circumstance might be the type of role and the type of work might be slightly different in today's um, abnormal world. Um, you think about retail, for example, um, the typical kind of retail uh, assistance role has changed a great deal under this uh, under this circumstance. We're starting to really value that um, that role a lot more in the grocery sector. Um, but today, you know, the skills required to you know, operate and work in a grocery store that are a little bit different to what they were um, perhaps before this crisis. You need to be there to safeguard people's safety. Um, you need to be there to um, enforce what are slightly more stringent rules than perhaps you had to in the past, rather than just focusing on the customer is always right and customer experience. Today, you're focusing on uh, safeguarding well-being, um, protecting the masses rather than um, than just focusing on individual kind of customer experience. So, so I think you know those virtual events, those virtual activities will allow um, organizations to engage better, but also to allow organizations to describe um, the different challenges of coming to work for um, a grocery store, a infrastructure organization during the current um, the, the current world. Um, so then, video interviewing we talked about. I think. You know, key to um, giving good experiences, and I know you've you've talked to many people uh, in your previous um, shows around um, how to prepare for those, both on the organisational side and on the candidate side, how to make how to make sure that you get good experiences there. So there's lots of resources out there to help with that, and then the virtual onboarding piece I think is critical as well. So, um, you know giving a good experience, helping people um, on board if we are going to be part of a virtual workforce and maybe have not been used to working remotely uh, in the past is is critical. And there's, um, you know, there's some good tools out there to help with, um, with that approach. Broadening the, the conversation out slightly, but sticking with something that I, I think remains incredibly relevant to the here and now, particularly where employers are using more technology in the recruitment process when the recruitment process is virtual. And also they're looking for skills that they might not have even thought about looking for before, and, and that issue is, is is one of bias in the in the recruitment process. And we've had lots of conversations on the show about what biases exist in recruitment, how much of that is conscious, how much of that is unconscious, and whether technology helps to fix that or just helps to amplify that. What's your take on this issue? Yeah, I, um, I it it can do either. <laughs> is the very short and not very exciting answer to to that question. Um, so to expand on that a little bit, I think until we get to you know genuine deployment of um, artificial general intelligence in in our just in our general world, not just in our recruiting world, you know we're relying on um, the AI, AI learning from and um, amplifying, as you say, or or um, uh, speeding up the human. Uh, decision-making process. 
So whether we're talking about candidate matching, which is where most of, I think, the conversation goes when we talk about bias um, uh, uh, in uh, in technology and recruiting, or um, maybe augmented um, advertising, advertising writing or job description writing, which is an area where bias can creep in as well. So using natural language to write better um, job ads or um, or job descriptions, or actually whether we're talking about chatbots and, and virtual assistants and the personalization element of those um, of those tools. I think they're all areas where um, we can either see um, some elimination of uh, of bias or amplification if we if we don't think about it correctly. We obviously got the much much publicised. Um, I won't mention the organization, but we all know the online um, organization who had a much publicized challenge with uh, with with bias when trying to deploy um, matching and um, and sourcing tools. So so I think there's a it, you know, we need to be careful and make sure that we really understand that what we're doing is making human decisions um, faster and uh, and more efficient through these tools today because the machines are not thinking for themselves yet. I think there's a couple of areas where we can we can be deliberate about that. So I think firstly, um, I would encourage all organizations when they think about um, deploying, um, whether it's machine learning or, or, or other forms of AI, is to broaden the um, scope of the conversation outside of just recruitment and HR. So bring in some professionals or some experts who have done this in the consumer world or have done this in uh, in the world of marketing or other, other areas. So you know, let's not let's not retread the same challenges that our colleagues in marketing or uh, our consumer parts of our organization have have faced when it comes to thinking about um, how we build the algorithms and how we communicate with um, with people um, and candidates so that would be my first kind of recommendation is that, that let's let's make sure we take it outside of there to to try and um, try and eliminate um, some of the um, some of the challenges we see when we're talking about the data sets that we want to look at the other thing is I think we when we if we're thinking about um, any area of bias, if, if it's a pillar of diversity, or if it's if it's just a kind of um, background in terms of uh, in terms of um, uh, type of type of organisation folks are coming from, or whatever, right? So not necessarily directly linked to a pillar of diversity, but 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 linked to a sort of diversity element when it comes to skills and knowledge in your organisation. I, I think we need to. As, as we build these processes or as organizations build these processes actually be very aware of um, of what we could be exacerbating uh, when it comes to using the technology so again like you said um, if the natural bias exists um, uh, for certain backgrounds um, or certain demographics and we're not aware of that then we run the risk of, of amplifying that as we build uh, as we build faster decision making engines uh, and as we automate that process um, to a greater degree so I think the first thing in, in when you're designing this is being aware of that um, and um, having that front and center as we as we think about the algorithms we're looking to design in order to uh, in order to do matching or to in the personalization layer or um, or all the other layers basically just to dig a little bit deeper into that so we're talking about chatbots and video interviewing and and automated matching all things that are being used extensively now and as we move forward and organizations are retooling their approach to talent acquisition moving quicker trying to do more with less you know whatever whatever the future looks like it, it's kind of highly likely that these are the technologies that that will form the heart of that. We've talked about an employer who didn't do this very well. 
are you seeing any employers who are already good at this and what lessons can we learn from them? Yeah, I, I, I think um, we, we're still relatively early into into this journey. Um, it, it feels like much of what we're talking about has been around forever. And as you rightly said, there's there's a lot of different point solutions out there that are supporting um, supporting organizations today. Um, I, I think just taking a step back for a moment, what I don't think um, we see a lot of success in the broader world at the moment is where organizations can bring those point solutions together into a ecosystem or a platform or a way of um, managing and running a recruiting talent acquisition engagement process that that brings all of these um, components together. So, you know, I think there's some good good examples of where folks are using matching technology today um, in order to move quickly through uh, mass hiring. Um, so I think if we think about retail, um, highly distributed, but um, but high volume um, use cases. So um, your quick service restaurant organizations, you know, several thousand or tens of thousands of um, employment locations around, a, around the US or in other countries in the world. I think we can see some good use cases there where um, the mobile enabled, quick apply, um, quick match, and then quick um, request and schedule for um, for some kind of interview process is working is working well. And I think we can we can say that that use case is um, uh, is is good. Um, However, that's in a sector and segment where actually folks are used to, you know, walking in, making an application and having an interview, right? Or um, uh, or choosing to go and talk to three or four different employers at one time about an hourly paid role, um, you know, to supplement income while studying or wherever else. So the use case is specific to both a market and industry and to a kind of candidate demographic. So I, I, I don't think we yet see many organizations who are taking all of those point solutions really leveraging them to um, to the greatest of their their ability and, and and using it across different use cases in their own organization so taking that retail example or that quick service restaurant example you probably wouldn't want to deploy the same hiring process and same speed of uh, process and same matching and and humanless um, approach if you're hiring a marketing executive into your Head, headquarters, global headquarters, or if you're hiring a finance, a qualified finance professional to be in one of your regional um, finance centers. So um, I, I don't yet see many organizations doing, um, putting it all together and, and, and achieving it well. I, I think it's incumbent on providers like Cielo, um, incumbent on technology organizations uh, and, uh, and others in the world to sort of help organizations piece this together. Um, I think you know, well publicized, there was six billion dollars invested in HR tech um, over the last year or so from venture capital and private equity. I think that possibly serves to make it a more confusing place for <laughs> HR professionals and and talent acquisition um, teams. I, I think our role as a as a partner and uh, and others' roles as partners is to help organisations understand how they can bring all of those things together to actually give a good experience and how they can segment that experience depending on the workforce, the use case, uh, the type of role, organization, where they are in the world, those those pieces. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more there. It makes perfect sense. And we are very, very much still at the beginning of this 
journey. I, I suppose talking about journeys, I look back through my blog archives the other day, and in 2008, I wrote a blog post about the imminent death of the CV. Um, <laughs> here, we are, here we are in 2020. We've got all of this, uh, all of this technology, all these different ways of working, yet still around the world, recruiting seems to be centered around the CV, which which people almost universally agree is not a tool that's very that's very useful. Why is that? And is this is this ever going to change? <laughs> yeah, I, um, not a very scientific answer, but I think there's a there's a the we need somebody or a group of employers to really break rank first, right? <laughs> uh, some some landmark organisations and say we don't we don't we don't we're not interested in the CV the resume anymore, right? We're interested in some version of a profile so that we get enough information to engage properly with individuals, and that's fine. The document is uh, is dead. I, you know, when we look around the world, there's there's many different formalities to how organizations and people do business. So not just do hiring, but do business in general. You look at the Middle East versus parts of Asia versus the UK and the US, where we would say probably have the first chance to talk about this kind of CV-less or resume-less um, approach. So, you know, I think what, what's it going to take? It's going to take a few organizations, few employers to start saying we're not interested in, in that that document anymore. We're interested in something different. Um, I think the shift to mobile, which we obviously, I mean, I think it was four or five years ago that we saw, or even further ago, that we saw more applications via mobile than we did on mobile device than we did via traditional um, internet connections. So I think the shift to mobile will enable that a little bit. Um, but I think it, it, it comes from the employer. It takes It takes the employer to say, we don't, we're not interested anymore because that'll flow down through providers and partners, you know, like ourselves, but also all the way down through to the platforms where um, folks are putting their um, CVs, resumes today. Um, so I, I, I wish I had a slightly better um, technical answer for you there, Matt, or a, a slightly better prediction in, in terms of time. I, I suggest that this is probably not going to happen in the next um zero to three years. I think if we took a five-year outlook, we might say by that point, we might see the the whole, on the whole, the kind of less less use of, um, of CV and resume. Now, I do think the gig worker piece is going gonna, is gonna, to um, potentially contribute to that. Although one of the interesting things that you know, I've been looking at at the moment is the impact of the current crisis on gig workers because clearly, or the gig economy, because clearly those a lot of those workers are impacted pretty significantly um, as part of this um, crisis. But but it also may shape the um, growth of, uh, of of kind of gig workers and of the the kind of organisational mix of um, FTE versus contingent versus gig. Um, it may slow that down slightly. Um, for a period of time, so I, I think that also contributes to this, um, to this kind of notion of this CV document. Because as soon as we, as soon as the mix of um, labour in your organisation changes, um, that'll contribute towards the um, the lack of needing this kind of uh, 
rather archaic document as well. So final question, making predictions about the future is always difficult as my inaccurate prediction about the death of the CV 12 years ago proves. <laughs> um, and making predictions about what the future is going to look like um, at the moment is probably, it's probably even more tricky. But give us your perspective on what talent acquisition might look like in, in sort of 12, 18 months time. Yeah, I, you know, we, none of us can really predict um, what the recovery in air quotes it, is going to look like, right? Is it is it a U? Is it a V? Is it a Nike swoosh? Um, we, we don't know. Um, what I do think is once we cycle past this, there's some there's some components that may have been fast tracked as far as talent acquisition is concerned. I think many organisations that felt they needed to have a large centralised, wholly owned talent acquisition organisation are starting to realise that this kind of distributed, tech enabled um, uh, perhaps not um, not entirely directly employed um, way of thinking about your talent acquisition organization can work. Right, so we're all being forced to to realise that 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 distributed way of working can work. Um, the technology tools we've already talked about, more organisations are using those, and I think that um, the smart organisations and there's, there's certainly a few out there are realising how they start to bring those technologies together to form an actual platform or an ecosystem still relatively early in that journey but i think that's where we'll start to see the rise of the platform in the next 12 to 18 months um, and i don't mean a, a different version of a crm or an ats i genuinely mean an ecosystem where um, the technologies um, work together complement each other and uh, and talent acquisition teams can distribute work seamlessly between uh, between each other and um and organizations they support, whether it's you know, um, an outsourced arrangement or a, um, a wholly owned arrangement. Um, I, I think the role of the recruiter, um, I mean, Matt, much like your death of the CV, I think we've talked about the death of the recruiter um, in, it, in its truest sense for many years as well. I, I still don't see that. I think um, what we're probably looking at is recruiter 3.0 or recruiter X in the future. Um, if we think a little bit about, um, and I'll use a terrible Marvel analogy now, so I apologize to anyone who is a real Marvel or Avengers fan, but um, Iron Man um, and his Jarvis suit, which, you know, is largely about the human being, but a, but a, but is enabled by um, this kind of exoskeleton with all these capabilities and, and uh, abilities to go faster and be stronger and process more information and data. I think that's where our recruiter roles will start to go. And again, small numbers, but but those leading organisations will start to think about will start to think about that. So, um, automating more of the non-human tasks, taking them away from um, from the humans to allow the humans to concentrate on the um, human and valuable tasks from an experience perspective. I think the final thing is. Um, we at Cielo, and I think organizations are starting to realize in this crisis, those that didn't, we put experience first. So you know, whatever we're doing as far as automation, as far as um, technology goes, the first E in our conversation is experience. And I think that um, over the years in TA, we've lost that a little bit, right? So we've thought about how we do things faster, how we get cost out of talent acquisition, how we... Um, how we automate to be better at moving more candidates through more processes. And, and gosh, our, our application process takes a nanosecond now. While in some circumstances, people want to do a 10-minute application process, not a two-minute application process, because it's relevant for the type of role or the experience. So I think what, what this crisis is doing and also the direction of travel 
is to bring experience really back to the front of um, of, of talent acquisition. Now, that isn't at the expense of um, effectiveness and efficiency. I think we can gain we gain those things, but also making sure that when we think about um, technology automation, put experience at the front of it, make sure that we know what the experience for the candidate is like, the hiring manager is like, and actually our recruiters and our people that are powering talent acquisition, what's the experience like for those three? If we get it right for those three, um, through using technology and, and developing the right ways of working for the right use cases, I think that, that it, that'll accelerate the position of, of talent acquisition as well. So that's where I think will go over the next 12 to 18 months. I hope that um, organizations recover um, quickly and successfully and they can bring, bring the, the, we're all tasked with bringing more people back to work um, and, uh, and bringing those folks who are now displaced back to work and, and getting back on track from a kind of economic perspective as well. Matt, thank you very much for talking to me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. My thanks to Matt Jones. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow us on Instagram. You can find the show by searching for Recruiting Future. You can also listen and subscribe to the show on Spotify. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.